Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Tesla catches a break and ransomware attack. Next up, Mazed and Confused. Suncrypt joins the Maze ransomware cartel. And finally, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 59, recorded on August 31st, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, the prodigal pun returns, LaBelle, with me co-host, Chad, punny code Anderson, and last but not least, Tarek making a mountain out of a malware Salah. Well, good morning, good afternoon, gentlemen. Howdy. Hello, hello. Hello. It's been a week. Miss you too. You don't have to lie to us. (laughs) You're right. Sorry. Every, every time between when we record, it's just like a vacation, you know, except I'm using all that time to store up puns. You know, like that sound when Mario gets supercharged, it's like, that's what's happening all week. And then it just, and you just dump puns on us. (laughs) Pun dump. Yeah. Pun dump. (laughs) Well, it's good to be with you two back for another episode, number 59. Um, well, let's get into this. It was really hard. There's so many different car puns. So I'm um, I'm hoping to hear some of those come through this week. But the first article is, of course, Tesla catches a break and ransomware attack. So Tesla and the FBI work together to prevent a group of ransomware hackers from attacking Tesla's Gigafactory, Nevada, according to a complaint from the FBI. So, Chad, this is uh, a fairly unusual story. Can you provide a brief summary? We've actually had a lot of complaints come up lately. Um, A lot of FBI documentation, I feel like, we've been sending out through the podcast. So it's becoming more usual, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing. They've been uh, been busy. They're they're doing good. But uh, for this, um, so basically what happened here is a Russian hacker group tried to bribe a Tesla employee um, through one of his old friends who is like a co-conspirator in the group to install malware on the corporate network that would then be used um, to, uh, you know, do a ransomware operation, extort money from Tesla, all that. So the employee ended up alerting their employer um, instead, who then called the FBI. Um, and they surveyed the two a little bit further, um, gathered a bunch more intelligence on other attacks, and then eventually arrested the uh the briber, bribery, briberator. I, I'm not really sure what uh, the word is there. That sounds like the children's clothing store, like Jamboree. Yeah. Bribery. Yeah. <laughs> bribery. Um, yeah. It's for little bribers. Um, but they are assuming Los Angeles while they were trying to flee the country back to Russia. So a lot of interesting dialogue came out of the surveillance. And if you look at the, um, the direct filing with the courts, um, it's really interesting. It's just kind of bizarre how brazen these ransomware gangs have gotten. Absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, Chad, I've got a call and response joke for you here. Are you ready? Okay. Is this uh, okay? It's going to be terrible. I just want to prepare you. Get your groan sound prepared. Okay. Where did the hacker go? <sighs> Where? <laughs> I don't know. He ransomware. <laughs> 
on the scale of uh, like of puns um, to cars, like from the Pinto to the Tesla Cybertruck, that's going to be our rating system. Cybertruck. That is like like right there in like a Honda Accord. Um, so, <laughs> well, I kind of feel like you you would be ironic for you to like a Tesla Cybertruck. So I think that's actually a compliment. That's gonna, I'm going to choose to take it that way. All right, deal. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't. I try to be organic in my puns, but I we've been coming across a lot of ransomware lately. So I've been doing some reading and like just googling ransomware puns, and every single punchline is ransomware, mm. and it's a little overdone. So um, I invite our community to provide better <laughs> ransomware puns i know we have it in us but i'm failing you all <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so how did the tesla employee communicate then with this defendant and the fbi case um and how collaborative was the plan itself what were some of the ways the attacker was attempting to cover their tracks so yeah they initially the um the Russian national reached out to the Tesla employee um, and said they were, you know, traveling through the U S and want to talk with them. They met them at a bar in Reno, which um, I was a little sad. They didn't mention which um, restaurant and bar that is in the report. Since I did my college years in Reno and lived there for several years afterward, I wanted to be able to like fully imagine the spy scene. Like, did they meet at the awful, awful, you know, and get like that notorious burger. Um, He's but, a foodie, uh, the Russian national's a foodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but now the awful, awful's closed. Sorry for everyone who uh, has ever been to Reno and didn't know yet. But uh, after that, they communicated <laughs> on WhatsApp. Um, so they were basically going to pay this employee five hundred thousand dollars to install the ransomware. And um, the well, the employee was working with the FBI. They actually got them to up that to a million dollars. So then they also offered to DDoS Tesla servers during the initial install to provide some distraction. And then they were also going to craft clues in the malware so um, that it would look like it came from an employee that the Tesla employee had beef with. So they could like eliminate one of their enemies at work if they wanted. Um, so it was all like really crafty uh, stuff. Yeah. And just kind of like, I, I don't know, it's strange. I, I get the idea of like insider's threats usually, but to then be like, well, to further entice you, we'll ruin someone else's life for you. Um, it's, it's very childish. <laughs> yeah. A twofer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Also that the first line there of your answer of like, I spent my college days in Reno. If that's not the beginning of a folk song, I do not know what is. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's like, uh, there's so many like just terrible things people say about Reno. Um, it's a wonderful place. I do like from Out Cold, uh, there's like a scene at the end of that movie, if you remember any ski movies. But it's, he's like, anyone who says money can't buy love has never been to Reno. Um, and that's kind of the... Also, I didn't know ski movies was a genre. I guess it's really all downhill from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I'm trying to come up with a swallow joke, but I just, I just can't. Um, I'm still reeling from that ransomware um, one. <laughs> Threw you off your game. It was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point of the pun. It was placed there on purpose, just to <laughs> set a trap for you later. Um, but so. I, I'm curious then if the employee did end up complying, which of course they did not, what are some of the potential consequences or fallout then for Tesla? Yeah, I would assume that at the Gigafactory, you know, there would have been millions in cash that Tesla would have had to pay out. Um, you know, that's a huge part of their operation uh, that's making all their batteries, you know, that go into all the cars. 
um, as well as I believe the home batteries for either they hook up to solar systems and stuff for people trying to be off grid. So there's a lot um, of their operation that goes, you know, through there. Um, so, and also, you know, I think the ethos around Tesla um, and all of Musk companies is that they move really fast and teams have like low friction. Um, coming from operations like that ethos, like when I hear that in my head, um, that means like there's probably a lot of shadow IT and not a lot of network segmentation because things get spun up fast. Um, and, you know, of course, it's just me extrapolating. Um, but that seems like not a good uh, situation for ransomware. You know, an outbreak would be would spread fast and easy. Good thing they didn't try to hit the Terra factory, only the Giga factory. Yeah. Also, am I the only one that thinks that Elon went into the wrong business with the last name of Musk? Perfumery? My gosh. Yeah. I'm waiting for him to drop like something that is even more offensive than Axe Body Spray because I feel like that's what he would come out with. <laughs> like Musk's yeah. Musk or something like that? <laughs> yeah, Musk's Musk. It'd just be Musk. <laughs> Musk for men. And yeah. then, Giga yeah. Musk. <laughs> Cyber truck. Cyber Musk. <laughs> Cyber Musk. Oh wow. Yeah. Good work. Good Thanks. Work. Cyber Musk. I'm trademarking that actually right now. There you go. Buy that domain, will you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold on, checking if that exists. <laughs> I, I, I want to know if I'm like the first person to ever Google a word. Sometimes. Oh no, it definitely exists, and people. Yeah. Okay. Google is very affirming when you're typing in a question and you're like, I'm not alone. <laughs> Someone else has asked this question. Yeah. Um, there's a guy out there. The first hit is a uh, man on LinkedIn, Daniel Cybermusk. So, Ooh, yeah. Connect with them. Should let him know about our security researcher role. <laughs> naturally qualified. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. So, Chad, it appears that, of course, the FBI was able to obtain information about previous attacks from this group. So what did they find? Has anything been disclosed in this recent camp, uh, complaint? Um, not about any specific companies, um, but they did say there were discussions that they've gotten, you know, six to 8 million from other companies before that they have done this a bunch of times. They were working on another company. Um, so they needed him to wait before he installed the malware. Um, and then they have some WhatsApp conversations between the defendant and his co-conspirators. So. Um, all of it is pretty, pretty brazen. You know, they, they were kind of like, yeah, we can get away with this. We've done it before or we'll do it again. So, um, I, I think we'll find out about other companies that they've been a part of. Yeah. And how, uh, how often do you think this happens? Uh, are, and really how concerned should like another fortune 500 company be about something like this? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the numbers. Um, and I, I'm not really sure, you know, that there could be any accurate ones. Um, you know, probably could probably make some uh, speculation based upon how many, you know, how big of a problem insider threats are. Like Stuxnet, you know, was for instance, introduced by a rogue Dutch employee. So, um, you know, it's clearly uh, the insider threat is a huge problem. And that's a, that's a vector for these people to get into networks. Um, you know, it's part of spycraft, I guess. And uh, these ransomware groups, as they get bigger and people keep paying, um, it's just going to happen more and more. And that's the easiest vector, right? Like why bother to go through burning some zero day um, when you can just go to like Bob in accounting and be like, hey, Bob, you want enough money for a new car? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you want a cyber truck, Bob? <laughs> yeah, you, you want a cyber truck? Go plug in this USB stick. 
Um, so yeah. And, and we've seen malware like that before. I think, you know, maybe 10 or 15 episodes back, we were talking about the malware that jumps air gaps. Um, and it was designed, you know, to give to someone on a USB stick and just tell them to go plug it in. And, um, it did like command and control basically with like each new USB stick plugged in would tell the malware how to act. Um, so, you know, it's certainly something that people are doing. Do you think the Glade people will get into the USB business? Oh, there actually was a um, like a essential oil USB thing, but I I think it's universally thought that um, things that get super hot next to your computer and burn things are probably like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plug it in, plug it in. But then again, you can just drop essential oils on your MacBook and open Chrome, and it's going to do the same thing as if you had a clay plug in. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Can't wait to send that Life to Tech Ops later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, final question I have for you, Chad, is how do organizations even begin to try to combat insider threats? I know this is a challenging one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of canary documents and tokens littered about. Um, you can, you know, Google canary tokens if you don't know what that is. Uh, but uh, basically, you, you can, there's all these um, tools to generate like documents that say like all employees social security numbers dot XLSX. And like when they open it, there's a um, tracking pixel that hits somewhere and alerts you that um, someone's opened a document that you've marked as being sensitive. So it kind of alerts you to some of those insider threats. Um, but for something like this, you know, with ransomware, um, I can really only think that the all the only way you could really combat this is to have some sort of reward program, you know, for your employees. They have to know that it's beneficial for them um, to come to you, and particularly someone who's you know money motivated. They need to know that uh, they're going to get a reward, I guess, for um, not ruining the whole company. Um, and, and you know, I really hope that Musk pays out this employee because. Um, Add five hundred thousand to a million dollars, like they really missed out on something big. They did, and I don't know if this will come through in the recording. But Chad, did you open Chrome and throw some essential oil? Were you hoping to get a new scent? I oh, can hear your computer taking off. That's funny. I did actually open Chrome, so yeah, the computer <laughs> is. Uh, yeah. I I put. Um, I'm actually not using essential oil though. I'm reheating um, some of my leftover pizza from last night on the. There you go. Yeah. You're welcome, operations. Uh, that's <laughs> hopefully it's not an overly saucy pizza that could end very poorly. Yeah, no, no, no. Just a, I'm a big fan of the cracker with some cracker things on crust. it. You know, yeah, the the Domino's ultra thin crust. I'm imagining you with like a lunchable right now. The lunchables that are Ooh. the pizza variety. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. That's a good size. It fits right by the mouse. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. The real heat center, though, is around that WSAD area. Um, that's where the that's where you really get warm in the winter. <laughs> Save money on heating. Open Chrome. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tark, I'm gonna go to you first here for the hoodie rating. That's zero to ten. Um, parkour, most creative way that you can get there. How concerned are you about this? Yeah, this one's actually pretty uh, pretty concerning. I give this like nine out of ten cyber trucks on uh, <laughs> on the seriousness scale. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> We don't know how well defended um, uh, their network, Tesla's networks really are. We don't know how easily this uh, ransomware would have been spread. Uh, we don't know. We can't gauge the impact unless we really see some more data. But let's assume that this ransomware would have worked um, just because of how kind of surgical this uh, attack was in a way. 
Um, so nine out of 10, I mean, this could have been really bad. Um, so good intentions uh, on the part of the person that disclosed it and reported it. Um, they deserve a, a big raise for that. Well said. And Chad, would you agree with that, that rating? Yeah, I mean, the just the high profileness of this, you know, it's been everywhere um, in, in, you know, every technical publication, but also like, you know, breaking into Fox and everything. So I think there's probably some ransomware authors out there who are like, oh, why weren't we thinking earlier of like just talking to people in the network? We're here just like developing all these O-days we can use um, and we're just trying all these phishing campaigns. So uh, I think it is. Uh, there's probably... Um, you know, just paying that human element is uh, is going to become more of a popular thing, especially as ransomware keeps getting more popular. Uh, yeah, nine out of ten, certainly. It's a very uh, it's it's Elon Musk in a full hoodie in a Cybertruck, which also has a hoodie on. <laughs> I really want uh, not to elude. I think this was to our last episode, but the um, the monster truck rally. Mm. When will we be at a point where there will be a cyber truck monster truck rally? Wow, like a cyber grave digger would be next level. I want to see a full Tesla destruction derby. Um, this is where my Nevada side is like really coming out. I'm like, I just want a huge Budweiser and a Tesla destruction derby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Chad, you have some stress to work through. We can understand that we're in a pandemic. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think destruction derbies are perfectly safe, though. You're definitely six feet away. If you're um, not, that's a that sounds like a personal problem that could end very poorly if you are destructing very close to someone else. Yeah, exactly. It's very thoughtful of them. <laughs> All right. Okay, we'll move to our second article here, which is mazed and confused. So a ransomware named Suncrypt has joined the Maze Cartel, and with their membership, we get insight into how these groups are working together. So Tark, back in June, Bleeping Computer broke a story about Maze Ransomware. But, but before we get into the more recent news, what should our audience know about Maze? Yeah, yeah. So um, the threat group behind the Maze ransomware was really one of the first groups that we've seen um, in the threat intel community come up with the double extortion method of uh, ransomware against victims. So, you know, in order to have leverage over some of these uh, victims and organizations, uh, double extortion really uses the um, the methodology of exfiltrating your sensitive data um, into like a repository that the attackers control um, and then encrypting your data. And then uh, at the end of it, at the end of the attack, uh, letting you know that if you don't pay a ransom and within a, like a really tight window, usually like 48 hours on general, then the attackers will go ahead and publish your sensitive data. And, you know, to some victims that might not be a big deal, but to, maybe a VIP, like a very important person or a high profile target, they are definitely going to be more willing and open to not having their data be disclosed. So uh, we've seen a lot of success out there with the double extortion method and the maze ransomware authors are one of the big ones that kind of created it. And so um, now we're seeing other really popular, high impact, high profile, notorious ransomware like Revol, Klopp and Doppelpamer um, and Avadon uh, use this method too. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So with this recent news with Sunscript joining the cartel for with Maze, what does this mean? And how did Bleeping Computer find out about this? How does Sunscript benefit from joining this cartel? And how does Maze? There are 12 questions there for you to answer. Yeah. So let me uh, repeat some of those. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Uh, 
Yeah, so this is really interesting. So first off, Bleeping Computer clearly has some sort of a connection um, to uh, the SunScript or SunCrypt authors or SunCrypt uh, threat group. Um, so it sounds like they had like an insider scoop there and they were able to um, have a contact, have a conversation with a representative of, some, of SunCrypt who kind of divulged some of the mutual benefits here. So number one, it sounds like the maze operators are just simply, they don't have enough bodies or people to keep up with the volume, which is a volume of their activity, which is really scary because that's an indicator of how successful the maze ransomware authors have been. Um, It sounds like they just simply can't keep up with all the workload. And, you know, just kind of peeling the curtain back a little bit, you know, when you're running a threat group, you know, especially one that's very successful, you're going to have a lot of work to do. You have to maintain your footholds on networks. You're going to have to, um, you know, ensure that your payloads and your stagers are all, um, you know, fully undetectable. Um, you need to manage the actual escrow side. You know, when you do get that money, how do you fence it and how do you move it and, and you know, launder it and things like that? So there's a lot of things that go into the operations. So so it sounds like SunCrypt was, um, you know, they kind of Voltroned and joined forces together with the uh, with the Maze Threat Group to you know, more specifically, SunCrypt said they're going to go and hand over uh, hacked, hacked networks. Uh, so SunCrypt sounds like they have gone out and compromised uh, quite a bit of networks, established that foothold, and then they're handing those over to the Maze Threat Group um, in exchange for profit sharing. Oi. Oi. My next question for you, uh, I want to be able to say these two words together five times fast, and you'll know them when you hear them. In the Bleeping Computer article, there's a sample of the SunScript Suncrypt script. Suncrypt script. <laughs> Can anybody else say that quicker? That's hard to say. Suncrypt script? Suncrypt script. Oof. That's a doozy. That, yeah, it really is. And how is that ransomware executed? Yeah, this. you know what's kind of interesting about this? I took a look there at their initial loader for Suncrypt. And um, it was all written in PowerShell, which is kind of fascinating because, you know, PowerShell... Um, with the latest versions of Windows, kind of by default, with Windows Defender with cloud protection enabled, PowerShell is becoming a less successful um, initial like loader or initial part of the attack kill chain um, just because of AMSI and um, Windows Defender. So I'm a little bit surprised, but at the same time, I think this tells us a little bit about the victimology here for SunCrypt. Um, you know, generally speaking, uh, enterprise, uh, business computers, will be relatively more up to date uh, running the latest versions of Windows 10, um, you know, that have these built-in technologies to detect malicious PowerShell. And so it sounds like SunCrypt really kind of targets um, maybe non-enterprise uh, victims um, because those generally are running a lot more outdated and they probably don't have the latest and greatest. They might even be running Windows 7 um, where these kind of attacks will be successfully oh. pulled off. <laughs> Windows 7. Oh, I know. Anxiety. Bringing it back. <laughs> yeah, retro. Um, <laughs> can you provide any other basic information, too, about SunCrypt ransomware that you came across or that is known to us at this time? Yeah, so I actually took a look at some of the samples out in the wild, too, of SunCrypt. And, you know, on a high level, it's really straightforward and kind of follows that that standard template of uh, double extortion ransomware. Um, you have your initial, like, loader, which is all written in PowerShell that grabs... Um, the next stage of uh, SunCrypt, which is, uh, you know, an executable that crawls those uh, those files that you use in your um, user directory and uh, encrypts that data using strong encryption. 
and then uses a Tor site for doing the payment information. So really kind of a playbook here. Um, nothing particularly new, nothing novel, but that doesn't mean it's not effective. Yeah, that's sort of the underscored theme of this this episode is the tried and true stuff seems to be working, the human element. <laughs> and that's right. Described. <laughs> Absolutely. Why change it if it's a, if it's working for you? Exactly. Um, yeah. And something that, that Bleeding Computer mentioned in the article as well is some shared IP addresses. Are there any implications that you see there? I believe it was between Maze and SunCrypt, and that's how they connected them, if I'm remembering that right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, this is kind of frustrating to see happen time and time again, but we're really dealing with this IP address is uh, is hosted in a, um, you know, ex-Soviet Union country in um one of these countries is extremely notorious. Um, this is Romania, extremely notorious for um, bulletproof hosting as well. And this is what's happening here. This single shared IP address, uh, this piece of infrastructure has been known and publicly known to be malicious for quite some time now. Um, and the hosting providers have done nothing to do a takedown process on it. So Maze has been able to you know, operate with effectively impunity um, uh, and this bulletproof hosting provider um, allows them to do so. So very frustrating to see happen over and over again. But we can tell that um, now SunCrypt and Maze are both using this shared piece of infrastructure, likely for um, something inside of the uh, their entire uh, operations, right? This is like one of the central IP addresses for uh, part of their operations. Mm. Oh, boy, it doesn't sound like there's much hope that... Um or there won't be a resolution, if you will, with that uh, bulletproof hoster. Um, but nice. a, a final set of questions here I have for you, Tark, are really, are there any known victims? And just generally, how bad is this? How concerned are you? Yeah, you know, um, so as of right now, um, there's only five victims that have been publicly shamed. And so keep in mind here, um, when we talk about uh, individuals or companies or organizations that are victims on the SunCrypt's public leak site. These are, you know, individuals or organizations that refuse to pay the ransomware and their data has been publicly exposed. So the amount of victims are, are going to be much, much, much larger than these five. Um, these are five that, you know, refuse to actually pay the ransom. Um, and so how bad is this? You know, from a technical perspective, SunCrypt doesn't bring anything new to the table. But from a threat group perspective, I'm, you know, in an adversarial perspective, I'm really concerned uh, because you have two forces um, that are kind of joining together to really be more effective. And, you know, you have uh, the maze threat group that's effectively saying we have so much work to do because of how successful we are that we need help. Um, so that really just kind of speaks to, um, you know, the problems of bulletproof hosting. Um, and the fact that these cyber criminals are able to operate with impunity. And, you know, uh, we need to figure out a way to kind of uh, tackle that. Absolutely. And after hearing Tarek's deep dive there, Chad, what would you rate this at for the hoodie rating? Yeah, you know, I think um, this gets a little bit higher for me just due to a couple of things. It's kind of like when we were talking about some APT groups um, a few weeks back who you know, they kind of developed a framework to start working with. And that like evolution of tooling was something to um, think about of them becoming more sophisticated. With these groups, you know, they're starting to make alliances with other groups, um, work together. They're they're doing, you know, their threat intel sharing. Uh, they are, uh, you know, making these affiliate structures. Like all of it is getting more and more um, 
business-like and complex and, and uh, you know, just, I don't know, functional, I guess, instead of just like one person, you know, hacking into a network and throwing down some ransomware. Um, so, you know, in uh, in this case, I know Tarek is a big fan of uh, saying Voltron and, and using the Voltron uh, connection. Um, since they're coming together, though, and I'm more of a Power Rangers fan, I'm going to say this is like a Dino Megazord um, <laughs> in like, uh, you know, a, a full hoodie, um, you know, maybe nine out of 10 hoodies for me. I'm on here. Like it's, it's all of those, you know, Rangers have combined into that Megazord and they're all wearing hoodies. The Megazord's got a hoodie on. I mean, it's, it just makes sense. Is this happening in a colder climate? I have a lot of questions, but I will, I'll, I'll save those for my personal Yeah. Time. Well, sometimes they have to go to the moon, you know, so it is probably pretty cold. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that, that'll help you out in the moon. That'll be warm enough. Um, <laughs> all right, Tark, what do you think? Do you agree with that rating? Yeah, totally. This is, you know, um, you know, from a technical perspective, I'm not too concerned. Um, but from a, you know, once again, like you have two threat groups. Um, one is just overflowing with work and that just speaks to how effective they are. So this is eight out of 10. Absolutely. Eight out of 10. All righty. Well, that wraps up our two articles for the week. Who's ready for two truths and a lie? Let's do this. Yeah. Excellent. And Tark is our man for the week, our person of the week coming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys ready for the three? Let's do it. Deceive cool. us, Tark. Oh, just in a quick reminder to our listeners, two truths and a lie, very similar to the traditional two truths and a lie, other than rather, you know, rather than sharing personal information. Um, so you can easier uh, get in and hack into our accounts. We are looking at three article titles. Two are true. One is a lie. And Tark's up this week. Go ahead, Tark. All righty. Cool. So uh, first article. Starting on September 1st, uh, Apple, Safari, Google Chrome, and Mozilla Firefox will stop recognizing newly created certificates with a val validity period longer than two years. Second article. On August 30th, CenturyLink had a service interruption that caused huge third-party services like OpenDNS, Cloudflare, and others to be uh, taken offline. And lastly, last week, the Democratic National Convention warned campaign staffers against dating app dangers. Hmm. I can go through those again if you need. I'm good. Those are all very good. I'm just stewing. Yeah. My summer stew right now. Sweet, delicious stew. Mm. Stew. Stew um, and brew on it. Stew and brew on it. <laughs> Chad, do you have any initial reaction, a knee-jerk reaction? Um, well, I am trying to think. I believe the certificates are supposed to be 398 days, which may be the lie may be the two years. I can't I can't tell. Um, but you know, I am gonna go with the um, DNC one as the lie because I've been paying quite close attention. I haven't seen that. And if I did miss it, I should be ashamed of myself and, and lose my points. <laughs> I want to make Chad feel ashamed of himself. So I'm going to go with the second article that you had listed there. CenturyLink going off. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, drum roll. I suck at drum rolls, but 
you guys were both wrong. It was the no. uh, certificate one. Chad, you were correct. Uh, you should have gone with your gut, my friend, because Ugh. yeah, it's uh, not two years. It's 398 days. This one was a little bit sneaky. Yeah. But CenturyLink did go offline and yeah. the DNC did in fact warn their staffers to not use dating apps because phishing is a thing. Yeah. Um, well, the, uh, yeah, the CenturyLink um, level three outage is really interesting. Cloudflare has a write-up that, uh, well, initially CenturyLink said that it was a BGP um, flow spec mishap, which is a flow spec is like a way that you push firewall rules over a network really easily. Um, and Cloudflare did a little write-up on that. They had their own flow spec outage like seven years ago. And they were like, this is why we don't use it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's like an interesting read. But uh, yeah, uh, that should have gone with the certs. I knew it. I, I knew that I knew the day even. I knew the days. I think another really interesting read is the fact that I think I'm in the lead now. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, um, that is incorrect. That is what? <laughs> I thought had... we were tied. No, we have a very even. You and Chad were tied. So right now, Chad is behind you by one point. You so it's basically not in binary here, but it's fourteen to thirteen to twelve. Ooh. That's where we're at right now. So it's neck and neck. This is the closest it's ever been. Crazy. The stakes we couldn't be higher. Got to step our game up. This is good. Yes. Oh, and I before we end the podcast for the week, first of all, we are going to be taking a week off for uh, the wonderful holiday here that we have in September that you all know about, Labor Day. And then we'll be back with a special episode the following week with the chief security officer over at Order, Jeff Horn, um, to do a podcast episode with him. Before we get there, I do, I do want to share um, a great pun. There is an Instagram called Neat Dad. Um, and as you can imagine, it is my kind of content. All right, so I'm going to read it to you. Are you two prepared for this? Mm, hit me. All right, so the, the, the setting is they're at a school talent show, and this guy gets on the mic and he says, before I begin, I want to make sure this mic is working. If your name is Michael, please stand up. A couple of dudes stand up, and he goes, that concludes my mic check. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> eh. Eh. Eh, I'd kick uh, that dad out. No. Get out of here, dad. Yeah, get out of here, dad. Come join the podcast, dad. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you both for another great podcast. Again, we're off next week, but we'll be back the, the second week of September. Per usual, just make sure don't drink and click, especially on dating apps. And that's all we got for this week. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>